listeners, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am your host for today's episode. Today, I get to sit down with none other than Ruth Jackson. Based in the UK, Ruth is a producer and youth specialist for Premier Christian Radio's program, Unbelievable, as well as the podcast. She has an incredible story of not only being in a 60s cover band, but also studying at Oxford. Hear how her story of growing up a ministry kid, a pastor's daughter, directly impacted her walk and how she has seen the arts world, the musical field, be used as a tool and connection piece to have apologetics arguments and conversations. But before we get into the episode, just a quick announcement from our president, Andy Steiger. Hi, Andy Steiger here. Before we get into the podcast, I want to take a moment to briefly let you know about an exciting initiative that we have coming up. Apologetics Canada recently received grant funding for our newest film initiative that we'll be shooting in Malawi between around May 10th to the 22nd. It's a project that will be focused on a theology of technology and will be released in 2025. We have space for a few people to join us on this initiative. You can help with the filming process and as well, we'll be hosting a summit there in Malawi and working with missionaries that are using technology to help people. It's going to be an exciting project to work on. We would love for you to come. You can go to ApologeticsCanada.com and apply today and find out more information. That's all the announcements, guys. Thanks for listening. Let's get into the podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, and I am here today with a very special guest from many, many kilometers away from where I am currently. I am here with Ruth Jackson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We've we've been connected probably now, I think it's maybe it's been about a month and a half, maybe two months, something along those lines. Well, we'll get into why Ruth is in a completely different time zone and why playing that email game was extra fun this time around. But we we finally got her. Uh, she's on the episode today. And let me just give you guys a brief backdrop as to who Ruth is. Ruth is a producer and youth specialist for Premier Christian Radio's Unbelievable. It is a radio program and podcast which brings Christians and non-Christians together for dialogue. She also hosts Unapologetic, interviewing leading apologists, theologians, and evangelists, and presents the C.S. Lewis podcast with Professor Alistair McGrath. She was previously the editor of Premier Youth and Children's Work magazine. Ruth studied theology at Oxford University, the Oxford, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) before working at the BBC's flagship children's television show, Blue Peter. She then moved to Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, where she helped set up the Youth Apologetics Strand Reboot. Ruth contributed to Hope Rising 365, a book for young women. She also plays bass guitar. Yes, this is all that other stuff is really cool, but we're going to get into this this part, especially. She also plays bass guitar in an award winning all girl rock and roll band, The Daisy Chains. That's so cool. Like, we could stop the show yeah, right done. there. <laughs> done. Nothing more needs to be said. Ruth is a volunteer youth worker, preacher, and worship leader at her local church in Feltham. Did I say that right? You did say that Felt- right. Perfect. Yes. People in England don't even say that right. Well done. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Where she lives with her musician husband, Will, baby, Eden Grace, and puppy, Taylor. Ruth Jackson, ladies and gentlemen, the most interesting woman in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you can just be my hype man. I'll just take you places. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Absolutely. So, Ruth, mm-hmm. well, I don't I don't know where where do we start in your story? How do we 
So you went to Oxford. You're in a in a rock and roll band. Did, like where where did where did all of these kind of things begin? Did you grow up in a musical home, Christian family? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. So my dad was a vicar, but I mean he has a sort of crazy testimony. He was a he was a gangster, you know, very wow. brutal, broken, broken past, but got saved in a really dramatic way as a young teenager and then became a vicar in the Church of England. My mum was a ballet teacher, so she had always been very creative, very musical. So mm. I guess I kind of had the theology and music artsy stuff right from a young age. Yeah. So um, both my sisters are in musical theater. My, I've got a twin sister and a little sister. Um, when we left high school, my twin went to stage school to learn acting, singing, dancing. And I'd sort of grown up doing a little bit of that, but I chose to do theology. Um, but to be nice. honest, I hope my tutors aren't listening, but I spent a lot more time doing music and singing and <laughs> dancing and than I actually did theology. But you know, I, I did enough to get a degree, so. <laughs> yes. So. With the twin sibling, did mm -hmm. you ever swap lives? Like oh, yeah. she was going to be late for school. You were, okay, I'll go. You did that? Uh-huh. Oh, uh -huh. my gosh. Yeah, we did it quite a lot at high school because we went to the same high school. And then we didn't do it so much because um, obviously when I was at Oxford, she was at stage school. We had totally different right. lives in some senses. But right. I did definitely live vicariously through her. So I would spend quite a lot of weekends at her stage school learning about you know, the history of hip hop dance or like what, nice. like taking part in a tap class while, you know, cool. while I had an essay to write elucidating the Judah High ideology of kingship. And I was like, <laughs> I don't even know what those words mean. Right, <laughs> I'm going right, to right, learn right. about hip hop. So anyway, That's yeah. so cool. <laughs> That's very cool. And you said, okay, you said that your dad was a vicar. Can you just explain for our listeners what that is? Sorry, that is a pastor. So I am a okay, PK, okay. pastor's kid. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so am I. That, like I wanted to write one day just a whole like I write a book called Memoirs of a Preacher's Kid oh, because gosh. I'm just sure that we have just some very similar stories. Yeah. And so what was that? What was that like for you growing up um, a pastor's a pastor's daughter? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it may have been I don't know your context, Troy, but it, it may have been a slightly different experience Um Lots of my pastor kids' friends, you know, they were in quite sort of big, thriving churches. And um, my context was very different. My dad was, um, it, we were always put in quite broken areas in a city. Um, mm. And he would basically take a dying church, breathe it to life, and then we would wow. move on. So we moved maybe every three or so years around the country. Um, and okay. so because of that, you know, there would maybe be two old ladies and a dog in the church when we arrived. And it, it pretty much the whole congregation would be uh, us five, my family, my mum, wow. dad and three siblings. So, you know, we were we were we were the music team. We were the readers. We were the helpers. Yeah. We were the children's workers. Um, and oh, I, you're preaching right. Right. Now. <laughs> and I remember I um, I preached my first sermon. I think I was. I think I was about 17. And um, 17. I mean, I was such an arrogant, awful teenager, classic <laughs> preacher's kid. And um, I right, remember just right. ripping my dad's sermon to pieces one day after um, after a Sunday. It must have been over Sunday lunch, I guess. And I was like, Dad, here yeah. are these mistakes. And and he was like, fine, you do it next week. And I was like, fine, I will. Um, and that was like the beginning of my preaching journey. But he kept oh his microphone gosh. on and he heckled me. So it was kind of a call and response for my first no. sermon. Way. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my first experience of preaching. And then I think wow. because I was, you know, under 70, I like people thought I was good. It was nothing to, you know, I could have oh, been saying anything, you. but because I'm under 70, yeah, yeah. like, oh, she's relevant. So um, it kind of opened this whole, you know, what started as just the arrogance of youth actually became 
a really yeah. powerful calling in my life. So yeah, <laughs> that's that's really. Do you remember? Do you remember what you were preaching about? No, no, I don't. No. But I do remember that. I think possibly my second preach was the Christmas midnight service. Wow. And and our church was uh, right next to a pub, and so like a bar. And at midnight or whatever it was, people would pour out of the pub and come into the church completely really? blind drunk. Oh um, boy! You know, uh, so there was even more heckling from the back. But I yeah, just thought, yeah, what yeah. an amazing opportunity, and how brave of my dad to give me the. <laughs> that no stuff. kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I re I remember my first sermon. I don't actually remember the topic either, but. I was at a drop-in center in Vancouver, BC, where, where I currently live now. I wasn't living out here at the time. It's very, very similar. I was 18. I had, as much as growing up in a pastor's home, I, this was finally the time where I was like, okay, Lord, you can lead my life. And we went on this missions trip. I was asked to preach in this drop-in center. I had to prepare to preach twice, one for the, the men when they came in and then one for the women. Mm. But where I was at in my faith was I saw God as this militant, leader who has who has come to crush his enemies and put everybody in their right place just this young zeal like very just this very aggressive god was the way i kind of saw him so when i went and preached to the men it was hooting and hollering like, yeah hey man that's the god i want i'm like okay all right i got this then the ladies came in now you understand the context of many of these women are coming from domestic mm -hmm. situations, violent backgrounds, current states are, are, are not seeing men in the best light. Mm -hmm. Now I'm preaching this God and my word, the looks on their faces, they looked like they wanted to just <laughs> grab me and throw me at the building. And some of them probably could have. And I just remember that moment so vividly that I was like, God, I am not called to be a preacher or not called to be a pastor. <laughs> Down the road, he ended up sorting me out, but I can resonate with you in those that that young that young zeal, kind of leading you to thinking you know better than you yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. That that kind of leads me to my next question: Is like, so you went and studied at theology at Oxford University. So this upbringing that you had was this something that I'm going to go study theology because I just seem to have this inkling that. I disagree with this as you're kind of pinpointing different areas um, yeah. in your dad's messages. You know, I think, yeah, I guess there was a little bit of the arrogance of youth, but I think I, um, we studied, I, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but we did religious studies at school. Yep. Um, I, like you all have to do it, I think, until you're maybe 12 or 13, and then you can pick to do it for certain exams. And I ended up doing it for A-level, which I guess is... I, I'm not even going to try and give the equivalent. It's, you know, it's like your last year of high school, effectively. Got you, got you. Um, and so, you know, I was studying RE and it was probably, it was me being lazy, really. I, I kind of wanted to study law and I was like, actually, that sounds like it's really hard work. That sounds like it's lots of reading and lots of hard work. And I was like, again, the arrogance of youth, I was like, I'm quite good at religious studies and I feel like I'm kind of cheating because I've read the Bible my dad's a vicar do you know what I mean so I was like yeah, I can yeah. do this and I hadn't even thought about Oxford or Cambridge but I remember my religious studies teacher saying you know what have you got to lose why don't you just apply for Oxford or Cambridge and I was like yeah cool fine whatever the day before my Oxford interview I broke my nose playing hockey um field hockey Wow. <laughs> so I wow. Up... Add it to the list. Right. Let's go. So I turned up to this interview and everyone is exactly what you'd imagine at Oxford. Super geeks, you know, dressed very smartly in shirts yeah. and, you know, suits. And I'm in rich, ripped jeans and a t-shirt with like a massive nose and like cuts under my <laughs> eyes. And, you know, I clearly have done no preparation whatsoever. Right. And, um, 
And it was just exactly what you'd imagine from Oxford. I remember one of my interviews, this guy sort of swung open the door. He looked like the nutty professor. His hair was everywhere. His shirt was Beautiful. like completely unkempt. <laughs> and he just but he didn't introduce himself. He just went, if Hitler was drowning, would you save him? And I was like, oh, okay. So it was really fun because wow. I got to talk about, you know, like the pros and the cons and whatever. And so, um, so that was kind of my first experience of Oxford. But I remember when I got there thinking everyone would be a Christian and there was maybe two out of 60 of us that were Christians and that was quite a shock to the system and I remember thinking wow. oh my goodness I don't know I don't even know why you'd want to study theology I guess you know there's history there's right. literature there's um and it's one of the oldest degrees you can do at Oxford so I think people who just you know their whole family had been to Oxford wanted sure. to do theology but that was yeah. a bit of an eye-opener for me and I do remember when I was applying to do theology um some of my Christian friends and teachers saying oh you know, are you sure you want to study theology? It might ruin your faith. And I just remember thinking, even as a teenager, if it's going to ruin my faith, like what sort of faith have I got? Do you know what I mean? If it can't be like rigorously grappled with and stand up to the test, then is it even worth having? But I did, interestingly, in, in my first year, I did have a bit of a, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as kind of crisis of faith, but I definitely most of my tutors were atheists and they were obviously really? incredibly intelligent people. And there yeah. were a few moments in my first year where I remember thinking, oh my goodness, what if none of this is true? What if the whole Bible is fabricated? What if I've just been believing a whole a lie my yeah. whole life? But then I met some incredible Christians who would just sit with me and talk with me and pray with me. And I remember um, there was one thing, I had some exams in my first year and um, and it was on a Saturday and I was gutted because I was like, who has an exam on a Saturday? And I had right. to miss, I was in a big dancing competition and I had to miss this dancing competition. So I was livid. Anyway, I'd done like, you know, the minimal amount of work that needed to be done. And the first thing was um, a Greek paper. So I had to do some Greek translation and then I had mm -hmm. to, um, kind of yeah translate a passage and talk about it and the yeah. day before so on the Friday night I'd gone to um, like the student night in my church and everyone else in my college was busy beavering away working I thought you know what I've done enough work I'm just going to give this to God because that probably wasn't me being holy that was probably me being lazy and, and you know, <laughs> using a theological reason to that. justify I it I feel that we've anyway, all done it <laughs> God is good God is very yeah. kind and he will um, use it and there was a stonking sermon, amazing worship. So I totally felt justified in my decision. Got to the paper the next day. And I kid you not, as I opened the paper, the passage that had been preached the night before by an amazing expository preacher was the passage that I opened in my Greek text. And as I was translating it, I was like, this is the passage Whoa. that was spoken. And like, I get goosebumps now just saying that. And that was just, yeah. I guess, like that for me was that was when I realized that actually theology wasn't an academic exercise, that mm. this was, you know, I obviously couldn't write some of the stuff that the preacher had said in the thing, but, but that was just, yeah, that was an eye opening experience that theology isn't just an academic thing. It's, I, I guess this yeah. is what, you know, what we might potentially talk about art actually it shifted from the yeah. head to the heart. And I think that's what art and music does so powerfully that it doesn't necessarily just appeal to people's heads actually that beauty and art helps the truth to drop from your head to your heart and yeah. that for me was a moment when that really happened in my life yeah that's that's so good you said that i love that you said from head to the heart because any of our listeners know that that's that's my bread and butter right there um we at the at the time of this recording it's been about a week i just got back with um some of our uh some of my colleagues from a conference called the Evangelical Theological Society. It's a huge conference that is held in different spots throughout the U.S. And this was my second time going. And 
it really is like theology on steroids in some capacity. And sure, I grew up a pastor's kid. I did Bible college, but I never really got deep into a biblical history or, you know, like we're we're looking into things like substance dualism. I didn't even know what that meant, right? <laughs> I had no idea. But I, I, I remember, especially being an artist, I had a, I had a really hard challenge not asking apologetic questions in my music. Mm-hmm. And to this day. But the funny thing is I didn't know I was doing it for the longest time. I didn't realize I was having these these theological questions and arguments. I thought I was just talking about my faith, mm-hmm. talking about my wrestles with faith, talking about my wrestles with the church. And it wasn't actually until I joined Apologetics Canada um, in, in my conversation with, you know, our president, uh, Andy Steiger, that he he started pointing out, he's like, you're having apologetics arguments in your music. Wow. Apologetics isn't just, as you described, people in a blue blazer and mm-hmm. a white button-up <laughs> shirt and brown loafers arguing in a room together. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere. And and so this is why, as we, we're really diving into this conversation about apologetics in art, um, maybe it'd be good just for... Um, th- this is where I kind of want to, I want to talk about your, your, a little bit more about your musical background mm-hmm. and how, how does one study at Oxford university, but then become part of this rock band <laughs> and how does that intersect? Like, that's crazy. I mean, so I, I did the two at Oxford as well. So I was in a jazz band at Oxford um, okay. and I remember, um, and this, this is not at all indicative of Oxford University now, this was just my experience. I remember thinking, right, I need to get stuck into the Christian Union or something like that. So I went to one Christian Union meeting and it was exactly what you just described. It was all these kind of middle-class white men, very male, um, just arguing the toss out of things that I just didn't really care about. Yeah, and I thought, yeah. I this is not helping me at all. And, and mm. Wednesday night was when this jazz band that I just auditioned for and got into met. And I was like, do you know what? I think God will prefer me to be in this, <laughs> again, <laughs> theologizing for him, making his decisions yeah, for him and justifying what I'm doing. Of course, he loves that. But I just thought this is a better use of my time to be making lots of non-Christian friends, making amazing music on a Wednesday night rather than going to see you. Again, that's not everyone's experience, I'm sure. sure. Were, and actually, I did end up doing stuff with the CU and they were great. Um, but for me, that was such a powerful thing, having this outlet every week. So on a Wednesday night, we would have rehearsal and then we would have gigs probably once or twice at the weekend and we would play at all the Oxford balls so the summer in the summer I mean it's ridiculous it's exactly what you'd imagine when you think of Oxford very pretentious very over the top (laughs) everyone in ball gowns um so the summer is basically a wash with these balls where every um yeah every college will put on a ball and it's just there's food and there's music and um yeah and our jazz band would quite often play at these balls so it was an incredible experience and I obviously got to know these people so well and you know some of my best friends that that I still count my best friends now the god the godmother to my child they were in this jazz band so and every single one of them not a christian so just amazing opportunity to um to share my faith in a really genuine way that's awesome so how have you watched music as maybe perhaps in your own story or at least in your circles really open up these apologetic conversations mm-hmm. like is there you know i think about the fact that you're doing these gigs in these different venues you know i got to you know kind of look at a little bit of your page and your group and i just wonder i'm like okay does this open up for a lot of conversations at the end of these that people are just like wait a minute you're who you yeah. do what yeah 
Yeah, I think so. And so, so jazz was what I did at uni. And then um, it was actually through my sisters who were in musical theatre that I ended up joining the Daisy Chains, an all-girl rock and roll band, 50s, okay. 60s rock and roll. Um, because all of the girls are in musical theatre. I'm the one kind of non, <laughs> non-musical yeah, theatre yeah. person in the, in the mix. And, um, and they're all amazing. Again, none of them Christians, um, but, but most of them have some sort of Christian background. So whether that is... Um, you know, they know a Christian or they used to go to Girls Brigade, which is kind of a, a sort of loosely Christian group over here in the UK. Um, so, you know, a lot of them have just got like a bit of a Christian story. And mm-hmm. I guess you just live life with them. Right. So you go through the highs and the lows and you, you know, I don't shove the gospel down their throat, but they ask, right. is that 1 Peter 315 always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, That's right. but do it with gentleness and respect. And I think <clears throat> partly your life has got to be an apologetic. Your life has got to provoke questions. Mm. And um, I'm not saying that I get that right all the time by any means, but, sure. but but even when you get it wrong, there's great opportunities to talk about, to talk about that, the fact that we're human. So I've just ended up having loads of amazing conversations. And often, I'm sure you know this, you know, you sound check perhaps at 6pm and then you're not playing until sometimes 10pm. So then you You've got That's four right. hours of just like eating and chilling and um and so you do just end up having amazing conversations and I remember there was one time in particular one of the girls had gone through a terrible terrible experience and um I we were sharing a room we were st- it was a gig somewhere far away so we were sharing a room together that night and we'd had a brilliant conversation that evening and we were getting up to go to breakfast and meet the other girls and I had that song you know the you make me brave over yes. and over and I was like yes. no no I don't want to be brave I don't want to be brave and I just felt that like I had to pray for her and I couldn't get you make me brave and I was like fine 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 I'll be brave and I just went is there any chance I could pray for you? It's totally fine if not it's totally fine I know it's really weird and she just went she dropped her bag and she went Rue I would love that And that was just a real kick up the backside moment for me for like, why would uh, people do say no, but really, why would she say no? And it was the most awkward prayer. You know, we both had our eyes open. I kind of awkwardly had my hand over her praying for her. And, um, and it, but it just was a really powerful moment. And actually, um, and it it was the start of like a a real deepening of our friendship and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and she will often ask me questions or ask me to pray for her, even though she's not a Christian. And I think, that yeah like I said that was a real kick up the bum for me to be like why why are you not brave what have you got to lose if you really think this is the best thing in the world if you really think this has the power to change people's lives and their eternal destiny mm-hmm. who are you to hold that from them actually that's really selfish so yeah. that was a real wake-up call and I'd love to say that you know every opportunity that's come along I've taken I haven't but right. it but right. it was a real wake-up moment and um yeah. yeah and I sort of kick up the backside to to try and answer the call when I felt it was coming. That's good. What, what would you kind of say, and maybe this is, maybe I can, I can ask it this way. The, the current mu- music climate that we see nowadays, it almost appears that there is somewhat of a resurgence of faith mm-hmm. coming into, again, secular, mm-hmm. the secular world of music. And again, I use that term loosely because if there's believers in the midst, how is it secular? But that's for another time. Um, But what would you say to the people that say, hey, I believe in God, I'm a Christian, but I don't really do all that evangelistic stuff in my music or at at my shows. And I don't really see why I should have to if there's other people that are called to do that, quote unquote called. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing is, 
my husband is a musician and he's actually quote unquote a secular musician he yeah. i mean he he does worship lead but he's never written a christian song christian in inverted commas again, again all, yeah, all yeah. of the music he writes is quote unquote secular um but he tells the most incredible stories stories about people stories about hope stories about loss and and obviously because he's a christian the bible is kind of breathed out of him in in that it's you know it, it sort of surreptitiously gets into his music, I guess, in some mm -hmm. senses. But from an outsider's perspective, you wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't call him a Christian artist. He, you know, he's a Christian who is an artist. But I just think he makes beautiful music. And in the same way that you have incredible artists, like art artists or authors who are just incredible at what they do and they are doing it for the glory of God. I think it was Bach that's, that wrote so, Solo Dio Gloria um, mm. on, on all of his sheet music, whether it was explicitly yep. religious music or, you know, quote unquote secular. And I think yep. that there's that sense of actually he gave glory to God in everything he did. And I yeah. think actually, if we are making the best music we can make, sometimes God will slip in there. But I, yeah. but I also think it will provoke questions uh, and it will seep out of who we are. I don't know whether Stormzy has made it over to Canada. <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> yes, he sure he has. has. Okay, Brit yeah, sure British has. grime artist. Oh, and yeah. I just, I don't know whether you saw, I'm trying to remember when it was. It was a few years ago. He did a performance at Glastonbury, which is a big yeah. music festival in the UK. Yeah. And, um, and there was a moment where like all of the tech stopped working and it just, it went acoustic and it wasn't intentional, but it was incredible. And he said, um, he said, we are going to give God the glory. He got down on his knees and he said, we are going to give God the glory. And he sang blinded by your grace. And it was just such a powerful experience. And obviously that is quite an explicitly Christian song sure. in that he's talking about, you know, I'm broken, but you saved me. But but I just think there are so many people who don't know Jesus, who heard mm -hmm. that and have a great amount of respect for Stormzy. And and actually that is going to challenge them. It's going to make them think about things. And, yeah. and not all of Stormzy's music by any means is explicitly Christian. No, in, unfortunately, in it's not. But, you know, he's he's real and he tells life as it as it is, you know, as it was growing up in East London and the uh, South London and the racism and, and everything yeah. he encountered and gang life and seeing friends in and out of prison, in and out of um, hospital because of gang cr crime. And I just think actually there's something about telling your story. Um, and I interviewed a guy, actually, um, a theologian, um, a, pr a professor of theology who said something really powerful. He said that artists shape what people can imagine and what people can imagine shapes what they believe. And I yeah. thought that was so powerful because powerful. actually art can can sometimes tell a story that we perhaps can't tell with rational right. words it, it it creates something that we never thought we could imagine and mm. actually once we can imagine it then we can believe it and i think i don't know when he said that it really reminded me of that um phrase i think it was blaise pascal who said make people want religion to be true make it attractive yeah. so they want it to be true and then show them that it is and i think yeah. actually that is what we have the opportunity to do with art whether it's explicitly quote unquote christian art or whether it's just a really beautiful story an incredibly haunting melody actually yeah. make them want it to be true and then show yeah. them that it is and That's i so just good. think in a world i mean i'm sure it's the same for you in canada but Britain just feels so broken and hopeless at the moment, you know, with oh, everything that's going on in the world. And I just think we as Christians have got to sing a better 
song we've got to tell a better story and I'm always reminded of those amazing words in um, Psalm 137 where you know uh, by the rivers of Babylon I sat and wept as I remembered Zion and then further down yeah. it says, um, you know, and they asked us to sing a song of the Lord. And their response is, how do we sing a song of Zion in this foreign land? Yeah. And actually, that's the tension. How do we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? And, and that's, you know, that's a question that we're probably never going to have an answer to. But but that is our yeah. purpose here on earth is to sing those those songs of hope, those songs of love, those songs of joy into brokenness and whether or not we do that in an explicitly religious context i think we can be singing such songs of hope and joy and and drawing such pictures of beauty and telling such beautiful stories and then showing yeah. people that it's true that's so good you're like i'm like amen come on <laughs> like you were touching on something there that I think I would kind of almost frame it as there is a call for excellence mm -hmm. in the church mm -hmm. that often I believe is overlooked because our heart is in the right place. Yeah. But I would always argue, I would say maybe your heart is actually in the wrong place when excellence is being overlooked. Mm. When you see God asking us to create things throughout scripture that were for a big move of God, there was intentionality. There were specifics. God didn't just say, hey, Noah, go grab a whole bunch of whatever you can find and slap it together. <laughs> And, and then pray about it with your friends and hope it floats. Mm -hmm. There was intentionality. There were things outlined for his purposes. Now, the beauty of that, what we see today is he's causing, he's calling so many of us to create all kinds of different things. But in the realm of art, I truly believe that, I, I will say that we have stepped into a whole other level of, I would say, creative, um, creative expectation mm -hmm. because the world is not is now realizing oh there's there's some really talented believers out there mm. there's some really talented christians and i think i think what happens sometimes the church falls behind but i would love to know like what does that look like for you to how do i pursue excellence and not perfection in in art as unto god i mean i think it's really tricky i think it's really tricky and i think so much of it is kind of an attitude of the heart, isn't it? If we're creating mm -hmm. something for our glory, that's why I love that Bach wrote. And I, 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 you know, I have no idea, but I would love to think that he wrote it on his manuscript before there was anything there for mm. God's glory. And then he started writing. So then he's like, oh, this is such a great tune. Go meet for God's glory. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. there's a yeah. sense in which, yes, we absolutely must pursue excellence, but we don't, we don't do it because we want the glory, because we want people to look at us. And I think... Yeah. Um, yeah, my my little sister is an amazing West End theatre star in musical theatre. She's got a banging voice and um, and she sometimes leads worship, but she actually sometimes finds it quite difficult to lead worship because because her day job is um, is like her singing for other people and yeah. like in a way it's about her sounding good she kind yeah. of struggles with worship because she doesn't ever want it to sound like a performance and so often when she's leading worship she's so far back from the microphone I mean she's got the loudest voice in the world so she doesn't need a microphone but uh, like that I think for her is a kind of intentional actually god this is not about me I'm stepping away and I'm giving you the glory this is for an audience of one and I think that is that is a tricky yeah that's a tough balance. place to be yeah I resonate with that very, very closely in my own music career. I'm a hip hop artist and I'm a worship leader. Mm. And I definitely wrestled with that as I started stepping more into 
worship leading because the context that I'm in is we'll have someone who's leading the set or you're leading a moment or whatever that looks like for for people. And hip hop, as you know, is very individualistic yeah. at its core, mm-hmm. right? It it's it's an it was an MC with a beat maker, whether it was a DJ or tracks. And then now it's kind of progressed to it being this 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 global poll. The young mm-hmm. audience absolutely loves hip hop, and obviously it resonates across many barriers. But you have to be very very mindful of the power that comes just from your gifts and abilities. Yeah. Not what you've been anointed to do necessarily, but just your gifts and abilities. Because if I say, hey, put your hands in the air, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? If I tell them, everybody jump to the right, they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Because in one way, shape, or another, there are some people there that are there to experience God, but there's some people there that are there to worship you. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens on a Sunday morning. Some people are there because they love your voice. Some are there because they want to worship the living God. and it really is a gut check every single time you go on platform to not walk in idolatry. Yeah. But I would love from your perspective, where did you kind of see the the shift in the tide? Maybe it maybe not just in art, but in the church in where have you watched that shift in in your studies? Yeah, gosh, I think that's so hard and actually I think you know in some ways it plays into the awful leadership scandals that we're seeing tragically all over the place and um this may not have made it across the pond yet but we had a situation where this huge youth festival in the uk um called soul survivor which you know so many of the pastors now here in the uk came to faith at that festival um loads of the young people i work with came to faith there I, i think it's probably fair to say i wouldn't have maintained my faith without that festival so it's like a huge um charismatic evangelical um festival and and one Mm. of the leaders fell in quite a dramatic way recently and so you kind of have all those questions of you know what does that mean was my was my testimony not real was my experience Mm. there not real all of those questions but but I also think there's a much deeper much bigger question that we need to ask in the church which is how did that happen do you know what I mean things like that doesn't it doesn't happen in a vacuum people are facilitating that um by by their silence effectively by not um you know there's all sorts of safeguarding issues and things like that but I think when we are in a culture where we are venerating someone to the extent that they can get away with things Mm -hmm. that is not okay and it's not biblical and of course we're all broken um but we need to yeah there needs to be a, a much more kind of leveling in terms of our leadership and I think that is a big thing when it comes to worship as well. We're, we're exactly the same in the UK. I mean, we probably don't have churches the size of, of yours in Canada, but um, and certainly not, you know, some of the mega churches in the States. But mm-hmm. we certainly have a kind of, yeah, almost like God worship, God with a little God of worship leaders and certain speakers yeah. and, and things yeah. like that. And I think it, it's going to be a whole culture shift. We can't just do it overnight. It's It's got to be... And partly that comes from the front. And I'm not, you know, having done years of youth work, I'm, I'm not suggesting that we stand up and air our dirty laundry to everyone. Right. Right. (laughs) No. 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 There's a balance, but I do. I don't know about you, but the stories I so often hear are: here was my battle, here was my brokenness. Um, I'm standing at the tail end of that because God has won the victory. What I never see is I am in the midst of the battle. I am mm. struggling with this. And obviously there's a time and a place for that. For sure. um, for but 
I am struggling with this and God is meeting with me in the midst of this. And I think some of the most powerful conversations I've had with people are when I have been in the midst of those struggles. So I had a miscarriage before my baby and I remember sharing some of my brokenness to, you know, to my band and, and to other friends and actually saying, I don't know why this happened. I actually wrote an article for one of our national newspapers about not understanding why God allows suffering, but knowing that he comes into it with us and he refuses to stay distant, but he comes mm-hmm. into the midst of, of the darkness and all of that. And I think actually sometimes it's in the midst of our broken situations and inviting other people into that, that God moves really powerfully because it's yeah. not about you because, you know, it's that when I'm weak, then he is strong. And I'm not saying we do that in every meeting, but there sure. needs to be a semblance of vulnerability and acknowledgement that we are not perfect and you know the we are pointing to someone who is perfect yeah yeah and how would you say then how does that play into our creativity like I know I I write songs and everybody kind of has their own process but what would you kind of say then to the person who says okay we're talking about being vulnerable trying to let people into our story trying to lift up the name of Jesus and you've called me to excellence. How do I know when that is ready to be released? How do I know that I'm honoring God and not just glorifying my own pain? Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably a really tricky and I guess it's probably different for everyone, but then I suppose that's where actually friends and counselors and wise people can probably help you with that. I mean, I think, I think, I feel like we're slightly shifting Um, But I used to get so annoyed that every worship song was like, yay, God, you're so wonderful. Of course he is. But actually, if you look at the Psalms, the Psalms of lament are vast. There are so many and they are brutal, absolutely brutal. And we often don't sing that to God. And, And like some of the Psalms of lament don't actually end with a victorious ending. They literally end with why oh why um and i think we do need to capture some of that again i'm not saying that every song needs to be like that but there needs to be we do need to capture that in our worship services and you know one of my favorite verses in the bible is is lamentations three and it's you know this is the most miserable book in the bible i'd say the clue is in the name lamentations and um, there's this bit where you know it's sort of listing all the awful things that have happened and then lamentations 317 i think it is says yet i dare to hope when i remember this the faithfulness of the lord never fails his mercies are every morning great is his faithfulness and i think it's that yet i dare to hope and i think that comes back down to art and i think our job as songwriters as artists as authors is to say, yet I dare to hope. And here is what I'm hoping of. Mm. And, um, you know, as you said in the beginning, I I present um, the C.S. Lewis podcast. And I think, you know, for so many people, he's known as a brilliant Christian apologist. He wrote Mere Christianity. He wrote these incredible apologetics works. But he also wrote the most beautiful fiction. And Mm. I don't know about you, but I've read a lot of his work on suffering and um, even A Grief Observed, which is a lot more kind of empathetic and compassionate than say um uh, the problem of pain which is very philosophical very theological for me it just i don't know it, in my moments of deepest pain that doesn't speak to me but look at the magician's nephew where yeah. aslan has got these tears that are so big that diggory is absolutely astounded that he is more sad about the situation than he is that that aslan has got this compassion and presumably mm. that you know that was inspired by john 11 jesus wept and i yeah. just think actually it, in 
the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and and the Narnia Chronicles, he he tells he sort of paints this picture and, and yes, he does it in his apologetic work, but I think he paints a picture of what Jesus is like with Aslan yeah. and, and what we hope God to be like. And, and it's that Blaise Pascal thing, show, show us what religion could be like and then show us that it's true. Um, and, you know, you get to the last battle and it's, it says that, you know, all of the suffering in our life um, and, and the end of our life is just the title page of a new beginning. And it's just this incredible sense that actually... Yes, there are awful things that happen in the world, but this is just a blip, and yeah. uh, you know, in light of eternity. And I think there is so much beauty in the Narnia Chronicles, which obviously were written for children. Um, but I just think sometimes art can say what actually pages and pages of theological writing yeah. can't. It can show us a better world. It can say in a really profound way, yet I dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never fails yeah. without even explicitly saying that um and i think that's really powerful that's awesome i i love that you know art really is you know you're, you're in its own way it's like a parable right there's there's these deep theological truths that when conveyed creatively when you've spent time and ask ask the lord like god help me help me articulate your heart for your people in a tangible fashion and music really becomes a parable it really becomes a connection piece and you know you're touching on on suffering and a recognition of a suffering right the job 13 15 though he mm -hmm. slay me still i will mm -hmm. i will trust in him or other translations say i will hope in him mm -hmm. and i think that is something that i have noticed so much in music whether and maybe you're much like me i listen to a vast amount of music. Like some people are like, do you listen to only Christian music? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> and I don't for a very specific reason. It used to just be entertainment. And yes, I do have some music that I just listen to purely for entertainment. But there is a lot of spiritual orphans mm -hmm. just in the Christian culture, but also just in culture in general. Mm -hmm. That are, they are searching, they are looking. You know, for me, I listen to a person, someone like a, a J. Cole. Mm -hmm. And I really love how he, he is so just unashamed of his struggles, his challenges, and is very willing to just kind of put it out there like, I don't know everything that's going on, but I just hear this call of, of, of God, if you are real, could you show yourself? Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of what we've been getting at, why there's this such an importance for apologetics of art, because he's, he's calling us to be that that real for people yeah. in the in these settings, right? J. Cole is around a whole bunch of other rappers and artists and creatives and execs all in the music world. You want to tell me none of them believe in Jesus? Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case. I think there's so many believers in the world's market that are afraid to be the difference, that are afraid to be in a shame because they're afraid that they'll lose their job. They're afraid yeah. that, oh, I'm going to lose this opportunity but then if we listen to the music that they're making and we're helping promote, they're looking for something different. Yeah. They're yeah. looking for different people. And I think you just, you, you conveyed it really beautifully when, when you're just mentioning that we have to be willing to go to those hard places because that's where so many people feel like they have to stay. Yeah. And if I don't, yeah, go ahead. 
No, no, I, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And I just, I think as well, like you started out by saying parable and, you know, we sort of, we speak in parables when we write songs, when we use art. And, and I think, you know, we forget that Jesus spoke in parables so yeah. much of the time. I read something, I think it was a screenwriter that said that he, he worked out that about 30% of the Bible was propositional truth and 70% mm. is story and parable and imagery. Um, yeah. And Alistair McGrath, who I work with quite a lot, he's a professor of theology. He said that even the parables that Jesus used. He didn't say, he didn't use a definition. He didn't say the kingdom of God is. He used an image. The kingdom of God like. is like. And I yeah. think that's such a powerful thing. And actually, you know, we are all storytellers. We're storytelling people. God is the storytelling God. Yeah. And actually, you know, the reason we go into those brokenness, and that's because that's real life. But we yeah. don't leave it there. We've got to go into that we've got to speak the language of our culture we've got to go into those stories of brokenness but we've got to redeem them we've got to tell a better story yes. sing a better song show them that there is hope uh, you yeah. know it's that lamentations thing these awful things are happening yet i dare to hope when i remember this yeah. and actually we have a duty as people who know there is a better story we know the storyteller the great storyteller and it is our duty to tell better stories and mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean making explicitly Christian art, whatever that looks like. Right. But but it just means we just out of who we are, out of who God has created us to be as creative people, we're made in the image of a creative God. We, yeah. uh, and you know, that doesn't mean, you, people say, oh, I can't sing. Like you'll be creative in whatever way you're creative. I think it was mm -hmm. a 17th mm -hmm. century philosopher who said that flowers are the poetry of God. You know, there are some people who are just amazing at arranging flowers. I, yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you a daisy from a dandelion, oh, no. but, but some no. people no. are amazing. And, and for some people it's, you know, there's all sorts of different ways that we can be creative and actually God has made us creative in different ways. And, and thank goodness not everyone is called to do the same thing because that would be incredibly boring. <laughs> very, very boring. <laughs> Um, Ruth, thank you so much. As we're we're kind of coming in for uh, a little bit of a landing here, um, there, there's been a there's been a lot said um, and talking about art and talking about our you know the the importance of of excellence and and really bringing the heart of Jesus into places that people don't think that it, it's needed. Um, but I would love like to just give you a moment if there if there's some kind of encouragement or something that's kind of been really burning within you as in this in this conversation that we might not have got to. I just want to give you an opportunity to, to have the floor in it. I guess one of the things I've been thinking about is, I don't know whether you've come across, there was a British runner who um, called Eric Liddell who said, God made me for a purpose, but he made me fast. And when I run, I feel yes. his pleasure. Chariots yes. of Fire is, is where he yes, sort of that's right. I was immortalized. Like, yeah. and, and I think actually as artists, depending on what we do often when we're writing or we're singing or we're creating something we feel god's pleasure and mm. that is because we've been created to do that and i think there there are so many young people who i meet who have for whatever reason been deterred from you know pursuing a career in the arts because because it's antithetical with their christian faith whatever and i i, I guess i just would want to say to anyone who's doubting their calling that God has made you to do this. And the reason you feel pleasure when you do it is because it is a God-given talent. It is mm -hmm. a God-ordained creativity. You are called to do this. And that actually there are things you can do that no one else can do. And there are doors that you can unlock through his power that no one else can unlock. And yeah. he may well have put you in that time for such a time as this, you know, as 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 it says in in um 
in Esther, in the book of Esther. And I just think actually when we are sat in our calling, we feel God's pleasure and yeah. uh, and we create beautiful things that provide a hope and a peace and a, and a longing for that better story. And then we get to show them that there really is a better story. That's so good. That's so good. My, my pastor puts it like this. He's, he says, never let your, le- never let your minor become your major in, in the sense of our, what our major is, is we have been called to preach the gospel. We have been called to be a light, shine our light that, that people may see it and come to Jesus, regardless of your, whatever your profession is, regardless of what your, your talent is, let that be a beacon, but do not forsake what the true major is. Celebrate the minor because you need the minor. But the minor is only supposed to to lead people to the major. It is only supposed to accentuate the greater call that that we have. And I know some people that the term call can feel trivial, mm-hmm. but it really is whatever you do, whether in word or deed, mm-hmm. do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus to to bring him glory. Um, thank you so much, Ruth, for for your time. I just really appreciate these conversations because I think when people think about art, at least I I know I did at one point, I never would have imagined that there'd be a theological edge to it, mm-hmm. that there could be an, ap- an apologetic conversation around it. And so I thank you for really helping us outline that. Even though it's a short window of time, you could probably go on for, <laughs> there's so much more, but we'll have to have you on the show again to talk a little bit more uh, about some different topics within your wheelhouse. Well, um, likewise, you'll have to come on my show as well. Yes, please. <laughs> let's do that. That'd be great. But as we, I, I would love for people to be able to try and connect with you, support what you're doing if they, if they so choose. So if, if you could just let our listeners know where they can, where they can be following you, how they could potentially be supporting you and uh, that kind of thing, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of the, I'm not on TikTok. I, at one, <laughs> one day I will, one day I will get down right. with the kids and, and join TikTok. But yeah, I'm just at Ruth J Jackson um, on all of those. And there's a link tree to various things. Um, yeah. And as you say, I work for Premier Christian Radio. Um, so if you just um, type in premierunbelievable.com, that will take you to all of the different shows that we do. Um, I think one of the, one of the most interesting shows we do is this debate between a Christian and an atheist. Um, cool. And so we have tons of atheist listeners, which is such a joy. Interesting. Very yeah. cool. Well, thank you listeners so much for tuning into the AC podcast. We are a ministry, so feel free to like and subscribe and follow us on all of your favorite streaming platforms. You can also reach out to us at info at apologeticscanada.com if you have any comments or questions. And uh, as Ruth mentioned, you can get in touch with her if you wanted to engage with her and what she's doing and, and maybe listen to her band. <laughs> to, to all of our UK listeners, if you're in the area, please go and say hi to Ruth for us. But as always, make sure to tune in next week when we find more things to think about and love God, love people. Bye for now. It's the AC Podcast.